When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Courtney to get a chance to see you face to face, even though it's a virtual face to face. And it's been about nine years since we had coffee last. Wow. I know. So thank you so much. Um, so I'm going to just go ahead and very casually introduce you because I'm very casual. Um, this is Courtney Armstrong with us here today. Thank you so, so much for making time for this. Thank you, Beth. It's an honor to be with you and to be able to talk about this important topic. Yes. Um, one of our mutual friends, Carol Stoney, was just saying you're one of her heroes and that you're just doing legendary work. And having you as a guest just gave me an excuse to like set aside time to listen to more of your YouTube stuff and to read more about what you're doing. It's just amazing. I love what you're doing to help people with trauma and grief. Oh, thank you, Beth. It's just a passion that I have. And I love to share wherever and whenever I can about how people can overcome trauma, or if you're a therapist, how you can help your clients find strength and resilience after. Yes, I love it. Well, I'll just do a quick introduction um, because you can read all about Courtney online and just to read one of the bios you have online so the listeners know a little bit about what you're doing. Um, Courtney Armstrong is a licensed professional counselor and a board certified fellow in clinical hypnotherapy who specializes in grief and trauma recovery. Her career has spanned more than 20 years and she is the founder of the Institute of for trauma-informed hypnotherapy and developed her trauma-informed hypnotherapy approach for, after studying with numerous trauma experts and helping thousands overcome trauma and grief. And I cannot believe, apart from doing, you know, trainings, I was hearing about your three-day seminars, which I really want to come to some of your hypnotherapy trainings. Maybe that'll be an excuse to go to like <laughs> Chicago or Philadelphia or some of the places that you're doing, Los Angeles. Um, and you've written three books, um, Transforming Traumatic Grief in 2011, and then The Therapeutic AHA, 10 Strategies for Getting Your Clients Unstuck. And the latest one, Rethinking Trauma Treatment attachment, memory reconsolidation, and resilience a couple of years ago. So you've been busy. I have, I have been busy, <laughs> but it's a labor of love. So it's all good. Yeah. When you're passionate about it, it's, it is a lot of work, but it's also very satisfying and rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And clearly you are. Well, um, so I have like, of course, about 50 questions I wish I could ask you, but a couple of things um, maybe to start with, I would love it if you could weave in some of your history with the mind-body connection. I heard on your podcast with Guy McPherson, how you started out in a primary care physician's office mm -hmm. and you noticed how many of those physical issues like fibromyalgia or high blood pressure or stomach issues were really related to psychic pain or emotional pain or yeah. family of origin issues. So yeah. I would love to hear how that kind of has informed your journey and, and also just your passion for this. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so one more thing, and then I'm just going to try to keep my mouth shut and let you <laughs> just go. Um, you're doing great. Some of my, you're sweet. Some of my favorite quotes um, from that, that podcast were when you said that a lot of the victims of trauma are heroes and they're survivors who, in your words, you said they have wisdom beyond their years and they have lived their life from a place of more depth 
where they treat people differently and they're protective of people in a way that others might not be. Mm-hmm. And I loved your statement. There is darkness in the world, but there is also light. Mm-hmm. And that just speaks to that kind of dialectic that you, I feel like, balance so well of recognizing the pain and the trauma, but then that strength and resilience. And it sounds like that's kind of the hallmark of what you do. Yes. Uh, wow. That's a well summarized, Beth, you know, because sometimes I'm so into in it that I don't even know how to describe what I do. Yes. So, so yes. <laughs> it helps you to kind of feed that back in. Um, so to answer your first question, um, yeah, I started out well, the very first um, work I did as a counselor is I worked with uh, inner city kids in New Orleans. I worked in mm. the inner city schools and this was pre-Katrina, but mm. all Katrina did was reveal to the world the trauma and um, systemic racism and things that have been going on there for years. And I love New Orleans. So please know, like, I love New Orleans, but I also saw the problems. And what I noticed about these kids that were in gangs is they were, they were scared. They were not these mean thugs who just wanted to sell drugs. I mean, it's, I just learned so much from them that, you know, what they were living in and in poverty and they had already experienced so much trauma in their lives. And it was just really hard for them to be focused in school when outside of school, they were seeing people get killed or, you know, their parents were working three and four jobs and still couldn't make ends meet. You know, there were just so many Mm. things that they were dealing with and the gang was really a family. It wasn't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to gloss over some of the dangers of gangs, but I also want to let people know what I learned from them that becomes important when we do work with trauma is Uh. attachment, is that you, the people who are the most resilient through trauma have some kind of support system. It may not be the healthiest support system. And that's Uh. another thing we may get into, but, but the gang was a sense of family, um, like somebody's belonging. Got, yes. belonging, somebody's got my back and they didn't want to do, they wanted a productive, healthy life. They did. They just didn't know how to make it happen. And, and at that time I was a very young counselor and I didn't, I just sat and listened to them and tried to reassure them. And, and even then I didn't know it at the time why I felt compelled to do this, but I would point out things that they talents that they had or, or in, you know, intelligence that they had, like, I don't care if you're not, you know, making good grades in school. What I'm hearing is how smart it was of you, the way that you navigated this really difficult situation or how you, you know, how you were able to deal with this trauma and, and they would, it would mean so much to them. They would just be like, wow, nobody's ever told me that nobody's ever told me I'm smart. Nobody's ever told me I had this gift or this talent or so. Um, anyhow, I, I want to tell your listeners, I did not know what to do. I was just flying by the seat of my pants and trying to comfort Mm -hmm. and encourage them the best I could, but I can tell you Mm this. I believe there's a place for cognitive behavioral therapy, but mm-hmm. that was not going to touch what these kids were dealing with. It wasn't mm-hmm. a matter of teaching them, you know, well, those are really negative thoughts. I mean, one of their so-called negative thoughts was they, they all believed they would not live to be past the age of 21. Mm. All of them were like, you know, we're not going to live past the age of 21. Right. You know that, don't you, Courtney? And I was like, oh, no, I don't know that. <laughs> they did not think. They said the world doesn't work for us. We oh. we um we have three choices when we become a you know when we can get out of school or if we drop out of school, it's because we only see ourselves as having three choices. We can work at McDonald's, we can by some miracle get drafted to the NBA, or we can be integrating and sell drugs. I mean, what do you think we're gonna do? And they literally believe that. Now, from a cognitive therapy standpoint, you know, it would be like, oh, these are cognitive distortions. But honestly, Uh 
They weren't. They were there. That was their lived experience. And when someone's lived experience is telling them one thing, it's very hard to convince them of something else. Like one of my jobs was to convince them that even if they didn't want to finish high school or that we should look at vocational training programs that they could get into. And they were just, and they're like, that sounds nice, but it's not going to, I mean, they didn't believe me. They were like, I, they've never said going to the moon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like going to the moon. So, you know, I, we did get some of them there. So, I mean, there were some things we did to help them, but honestly, after that experience, Beth, I, uh, I had to come back to Chattanooga just for some family reasons and whatnot. So so I left New Orleans to come back home. And then Uh um, I worked in psych hospitals, but I was like, I need to understand more about trauma and how you help people with trauma. And then even in the psych hospitals, the frequent flyers, you know, that they sometimes get labeled. It was people who just had chronic trauma. They couldn't shake the depression and the suicidal thoughts because of all the things that had happened to them. And Again, I'm like, we got to heal the underlying trauma if we want this to, if we want to help this depression. And I did not know, I tried different things and we know so much more now. So this was, Mm. you know, back in the nineties, fast forward Mm -hmm. to, I got offered a job at a primary care physician's office. And that's where I got more into mind, body medicine. It was the center for integrative medicine here in Chattanooga, Mm -hmm. Dr. Jeffrey Jump. Um, yeah. still the medical director there. And mm-hmm. um, he was really forward thinking in his um, approach. And he, so we literally had an integrative team. So he, I was the first counselor that he hired and he had body workers, acupuncturists, nutritionists, and we all did work together very well. And, um, but, you know, Dr. Jump would send me clients with things like fibromyalgia and some chronic pain conditions that just weren't remitting. And he didn't, didn't like to just throw drugs at things. You know, he was like, let's see what we can do to help you without getting you hooked on pain meds, you know. And um, and what I saw as the common denominator, I wasn't looking for this. I wasn't uh-huh. expecting it, but every single one of them had unresolved trauma. And they said, when did this pain start? It would always go back to a couple of years after this thing happened Uh or they had a lot of childhood trauma. And, and so I got trained in clinical hypnosis and biofeedback just to learn some mind, body and mindfulness based stress reduction, Uh all of those tools to help them learn how they could use their mind to help their body feel better because clearly they're what they noticed is when they would get upset about something, the pain would get worse. And when they would get angry, Uh they would get sad or triggered. And, And then the other thing is when we started really targeting more of the trauma and how to heal that their pain started getting better. Mm. And that was fascinating to me. And I'm, we didn't cure people like you can't cure fibromyalgia, for example. I mean, it's an autoimmune condition, but we can uh-huh. certainly make it better. Like we yeah. can help you feel better and help you feel empowered. So, um, so that's kind of how I got into this and got so fascinated. So I got trained and I mean, I'm trained in so many different modalities um, for uh-huh. training and they all have something to offer so one of the things I want to reassure your listeners also is I don't believe there's just one strategy for every Mm -hmm. person you know Uh some people are going to do great with EMDR some people are going to do great with neurofeedback some people are going to do great with hypnotherapy so I I don't want I'm very integrated in the way that I work with people and figure out you know, we base the interventions we use on what interests them and what mm-hmm. fits with their personality interests, but it's very collaborative because that's the other important thing I learned about trauma. When you've gone through trauma, whether it's big T trauma, mm-hmm. like a violent assault or, or abuse, 
or a small T trauma, meaning you grew up with a very critical parent or you grew up in poverty and had a lot of loss in your life, you know? Um, so when we think about trauma, it's anything that at the moment it happened, you, you weren't prepared for, you didn't have the, you know, it, mental or emotional maturity or skills yet to deal with it, you know? So it's right. like this thing happened and I wasn't prepared. I didn't know what in the heck do you do with this situation? Yeah. Who does, who is prepared for that? Especially the first time it happens. Right. And so that's what kind of freaks your brain out. Like what? I don't have a roadmap yeah. for this. Right. Unfamiliar foreign experiences. What do you do yeah. about this? How do you cope? Yeah. Wow. And, and mm. so. So when you're in that situation, first, it's like that, what, I don't have a roadmap or any skills that I'm aware of to deal with this thing. And then the other piece of it is usually with trauma, you felt forced to do something or asked to do something that went against your values a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Like your rights were violated. Yeah. In order to get through this, I've got, you know, my rights are violated or so as therapists, I think it's super important that they have choice and it's a collaborative thing. And it's not, I'm going to direct you and I'm the authority. You know? Right. They have a sense of power and control and yes. they're not being forced to yes. or domineered in any way to, you know, to feel that their rights were taken away like they were when they were traumatized or their control or power was taken away. That's right, Beth. Exactly. It's so much about them feeling empowered again and, uh-huh. and being able to reclaim that. And so mm. when when um, I have learned so much from them and they sometimes come up with more brilliant things than I could. So I tell them I have some knowledge about how the brain works and what we need to do to help your mind and body heal. Mm. Um, But you're the expert on your life. So we'll take some things I know about what can get you there and blend it with things that you've already figured out about yourself and together Mm. we'll create your the plan for you the recovery path for you mm. for everybody it's different you know oh, I just love your philosophy behind all of this because the implicit you know the stuff that you're insinuating to them is you can trust yourself yes your needs matter Be true to yourself, like give yourself what you need, not what someone else thinks you need. And we're all different. I mean, we're all unique. And I, and and it's so, um, it's hilarious the way or interesting or uncanny is a better word for it. Like (laughs) your collaborative, you know, unique approach to ask the person, there's many things that have something to offer, but what do you like? And I tell clients this with just general meditation or relaxation. I say, you know, some people like guided imagery, some people like mindfulness, some people like progressive muscle relaxation, but some you may hate, you know, some may love to count backwards from 20 to one and close your eyes and visualize the numbers. And some may get completely bored, you know, so art, music, you know, be true to yourself. And I, I love that you respect all kinds of types of treatment and not, it doesn't have to be hypnotherapy. It doesn't have to be EMDR. They all have something to offer. They do. And even though I I developed the Institute for Trauma-Informed Hypnotherapy because not that I do hypnosis with everybody, but there's some things I learned through my hypnosis training that inform my work. And then also because for people who do want to learn how to use clinical hypnosis, I do think you need to be aware of how you adapt it for people who've been through trauma, because it's relatively, clinical hypnosis is very safe for the most part, but there, but you have to be careful. You can't just, for someone who's been through intense trauma, you can't just, you know, they need to feel empowered. We need to personalize it. We need, for example, the first, right after I learned hypnosis, one of the first people Dr. Jump referred to me mm-hmm. to work with was a Vietnam vet. And he wanted to do hypnosis for smoking cessation. I mean, he even told me, 
he didn't think he had PTSD anymore. Like he's like, yeah, it was a long time ago. I just want to quit smoking. Well, the induction I used was from a script that invited the person to imagine being on a beach. Well, he went to Vietnam. Oh no. And he popped right out of it and was like, I got to get out of here. I just had a flashback and I I'm freaking out. And it was horrible. I felt so bad. I went out with him. We walked through the parking lot to get him present again. And, and ever since then I was like, Oh, and then I got specialized training and how do you use this with, and it is very helpful for people Mm -hmm. who've been through trauma, but you have to be, you have to personalize it. You know, you have to figure out what, so now I don't just make up a beautiful place. I ask them, what's a beautiful place for you? What's a place Mm. that can help you access a more peaceful state of mind? If only for a moment, it can Mm. be a real place or someplace you just make up. It doesn't matter to me. And then I'll say, and describe it to me. Like what, what would you see there? What would you hear there? Like I get all of their words and descriptions. And then I don't use a script. They write the script, basically. They're their own guide instead of you guiding them into yeah. a play. Yeah, that's neat. And then we just yeah. take their words. And then it it can be helpful for me to just say it back to them and kind of guide them. And the way we use hypnosis and use our voice, it's very calming and soothing with your nervous system. So the uh-huh. part of your brain um, that activates your parasympathetic nervous system, which helps for healing and relaxation, um, it there's the vagus nerve. And I don't want to get too neuroscience yeah. nerdy, but actually the vagus nerve responds very, that vibration of just a calm, soothing voice can mm-hmm. actually communicate well with that part of the brain. Just the, the tone helps it activate your parasympathetic nervous system. Wow, so that's, that's amazing. Some of the guided imagery and mindfulness. I mean, some of that is having an effect. Even if we just said gibberish, Beth, uh-huh. <laughs> speaking that way, can it really help your nervous system? The nonverbals <laughs> calm you down. That's yeah. that's amazing. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, I love the way you describe this on that podcast with Guy McPherson. Um, I'm trying to remember how you put it. I'm sure you get tired of explaining to people the, you know, the misconceptions of hypnosis, but from what I've been learning, it seems like it's really very similar to meditation It is, or daydreaming even. Yeah. Yeah, Um, it it is. It's, it's really um, like a guided meditation. The only thing that is different about hypnosis versus meditation. Um, I mean, you know, some people who are really deep into the science of hypnosis may want to, may think I'm oversimplifying it, but uh-huh. basically I think all people need to realize is with hypnosis, it's, it's also very goal directed. So even though it'll seem like we're just doing a guided meditation, part of it is, inviting your mind to explore possibilities or access Mm -hmm. a a different emotional state where Mm -hmm. we like a traditional mindfulness meditation is more focused on acceptance and just making space for that emotional state and not necessarily trying to change it. And there's a place for that too. So Mm -hmm. sometimes that may be what somebody, I just want to be able to hold space for this and, not be scared of this fear or anger that I'm feeling. So there's a place for that type of intervention, but, but there's also a place when someone says, I don't want to continue to feel paralyzed with fear. When, for example, let's say part of your history is you had someone in your life who was very critical and had a booming voice. Mm -hmm. and you felt like you could never please them. And then you're now you're working for a boss who has a similar booming voice that seems critical and you can never please them. And you feel like a four-year-old every time you have to talk to this person. Yeah, you regress and go back into that mode yeah. without knowing it. Yeah, exactly. And you think, what the heck? I'm a totally competent adult in this area of my life, but I get in front of this person and I'm like jelly, you know? Yes. So in that situation... I would want to help someone access 
a feeling of calm assertiveness or presence or strength, you know? So that's Uh what we would use the hypnosis for is, I mean, we would use other tools to help with the anxiety, but I would want to, for example, make that person that you're dealing with seem less threatening. So we use humor. Mm -hmm. So I would say, Mm -hmm. can you imagine your boss like with a pink and green mohawk? (laughs) <laughs> you know, and they would be like, you know, something that makes that person seem silly or right. you imagine with purple pigtails, you know, I mean, something that's just, they're not expecting that just makes a funny image in their mind. And suddenly that helps the mind get the possibility like, oh, I can, it sparks a new connection and reframes the situation. Yeah. yeah. And, wow. It's amazing. And, and so so we can just talk about that and you can imagine it. But what we know about when you get into a hypnotic state of awareness, which is just a fo- all hypnosis is, is you focus on an element of an experience and get more absorbed into it. So, you, you know, you can just focus on a spot on the wall or your breath. So it's similar to meditation in that way, but it, it helps align some connections in your brain so that your rational brain mm-hmm. and your emotional brain communicate better together it's like they share mm-hmm. information better um so that's why and and things can be more vivid so and so we could talk about imagining your boss you know you know with um i don't know um giraffe ears or whatever you want to make uh-huh. them rabbit ears um you know and, but then we could do the hypnosis and you imagine it and it would actually be more vivid, you know, like mm-hmm. make it even more, you know, funny or whatever. You can manipulate mm-hmm. imagery better um, mm. in that state. So we might do something like that to help calm your nervous system and bring that person down to earth. Like, okay, I know that they like to be intimidating, but they're just a person like you and they are mm-hmm. no better. They just, they just have a strategy that they've used over the years mm-hmm. for whatever reason mm-hmm. based on their history, that this is how they deal with people and get, try to get their way. This is how, what mm-hmm. they've learned, but you don't have to participate. You know, you can be like, hmm, that's interesting. This person thinks they have to speak at 40 decibels for me to understand that. Right. But, but I know that is not necessary. And they're kind of you out of control. Um, uh-huh. and then what we'd want to do is help you imagine yourself as you're being real, like uh-huh. I'm in the situation that feels kind of scary and uncomfortable, but I'm going to hold my ground here. And so what I would do with the person is what is an image or, um, a gesture, something where we can help you feel that strong like a tree that even though a strong wind is blowing you can stand your ground Mm. and it may be a tree or it may be some other symbol or it may just be you feeling your feet planted firmly in the ground but you can flex as you need to like a tree so you don't you can bend but you don't break um or we might get a song if that is more resonant, you know? So one of my favorite stories is a client of mine who he got the song rear view mirror by Pearl jam. When we were trying to figure out how do you want to feel around your abusive father? And uh-huh. he said, I think of real rear view mirror by Pearl jam. And it's a very empowering song, you know? So, uh-huh. so I was like, just close your eyes for a minute and just play that song in your mind and feel the power. It's not just enough feel it. You got to turn it on. So your whole body's like accessing the power of that state mm-hmm. or that image or that gesture you're making to help you feel that power. And so that's whether we do a little hypnosis before we do any of those interventions is up to that client, whether they want to do that or not. You know, if somebody's like, mm-hmm. mm, I don't trust that hypnosis stuff. I don't you don't need to do the hypnosis beforehand for it still to have an effect. I just then mm. hypnosis can deepen it. But I also learned some of these techniques through hypnosis training. Just yes. in hypnosis, we try to focus on 
how do we get this person to access more of what's desired mm-hmm. instead of just going over and over the problem? So mm-hmm. when we were trained, especially you and me, Beth, that, you know, I hope some training's different now for, but in graduate school, we were trained, you know, to validate it, the feelings that someone has and just, you, we needed to spend time when somebody's been through trauma, really, wow, that must've made you really angry. Wow. You must've felt helpless. Get in touch with that. You know, it was more that we were trying to validate them because they had been invalidated and there Mm -hmm. is a place for that. You do need to validate the, yes. I mean, you, if you don't validate first, nothing's going to work. Like if they don't exactly. Yeah. If they don't feel like you get it, like if you gloss over what it was like, mm-hmm. they're going to be like, she doesn't understand. She or he yes. doesn't understand. hundred percent. I totally agree. So you, yeah, you if you don't know it. their story. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do that and be present with them and attune and really get it. I mean, don't just do that because it's a counseling technique. You do it because you really want to get it. I really want to yeah. be here for you and get what you went through. And then though, at some point in the therapy, we need to, we call it pacing and leading in hypnosis or a tune lift and lead is what I like to call it a tune. But then I like to lift. I like to find something to acknowledge about them. That's a strength. So let's say somebody has panic disorder and they come to me because they're having panic attacks. And I was like, my gosh, I know that this has been terrifying for you. And, and now I hear what you're saying. It's like restricting your life because you keep thinking I can, I'm afraid to go out because this may happen. And I get why that has just been. And and what I just want to say is I am so happy you made it today. Uh I mean, you made it out of the house to get here with me. Like that's huge. And Uh good for you. High five, you know, like, yeah, because people are feeling so helpless in that moment. If you can find something to bring to their awareness, like, yes, this is true, but Look at this. This is also true about you. Yeah, you're stronger than you think you are. And those little steps are huge steps sometimes and take so much courage to even go tell someone your story. Right. Courage. That's a great word. And and then so I like to attune and lift. And then when the time is right, it may be we need some time to really get to know each other first and me to get the full picture. But then I want to do something we call lead, which is begin to lead their mind towards what's desired. And what I mean by lead their mind, I, it's my language is intentional. I didn't say lead them towards mm-hmm. lead their mind because what's been happening is their mind has been so fixated on the horror of what they've been dealing with that it's forgotten to notice these other things. Mm. So I'm trying to get their mind to move towards. So, so I might say, for example, with someone with panic attacks, I would say, wow, so you've been dealing with this. I know that they've been really scary and I'm so glad you made it today. That is the first step, like to take your power back. And what I hear Mm -hmm. that you'd really like is to feel more calm and at ease in your body. Mm. So just to describe what they want instead is so soothing and inspiring to people. I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but Mm -hmm. get the difference. Here's what we were taught in graduate school. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, that must be so scary for you. And, you know, did you have a lot of trauma in your life that caused, you know, I mean, we're not going to ask it like that. I'm being a little facetious, but we'd be like, wow. And tell me how it feels in your body and what goes through your mind. And what are the thoughts that you attach to that? Oh, okay. Well, there's some negative thoughts. So let's figure out what positive thoughts you should have instead. And somebody Mm -hmm. feels like, dude, if I, if positive thoughts turn this panic attack off, uh, I wouldn't be here. Right. If it was that easy, I wouldn't have had to come here. I've already tried to tell myself I'm not dying. And my body was like, oh, yes, you are. You know, (laughs) that what you have to say is you have to listen for how did, how does this person want to feel instead? And when, when I say it this way, instead of just focusing on all the negative feelings, I, I validate the feelings and then say, and what you'd really like is to feel like you can be more calm, confident, and at ease in your body. Hmm. 
And they're like, yes. But all of a sudden, just by saying that back to them, I've planted the seed that it's possible. Yes. It's exactly what I wrote. I just wrote plant a new seed. It's like starting that new pathway, which you probably understand so much better than than I do. And most people when they haven't had the EMDR, the neurofeedback training where you see all the brain mapping and you see a little new bud sprout. Yeah. You know, and you maybe planted that seed and then they have to make it grow. But it's a new pathway that maybe a new narrative. Yes. Yes, it's it's the brain. What we know now, there's a process called memory reconsolidation that just mm-hmm. came about in the year 2000 um, by some um, researchers all over the world were were exploring this. And and what we had believed before the year 2000, fear researchers um, said after all of the studies we've done we still don't have a really great intervention for turning off the fear memory, um, you know, mm-hmm. or so they felt like once, you know, you've had some kind of traumatic experience, a really scary experience that the brain seared that in so deep for your survival that it wasn't really going to change permanently. Like you could do exposure therapy. Like, let's say you've been in a car accident and then you're, afraid to drive through this intersection again. So you've been avoiding and avoiding and avoiding Uh it. So exposure therapy was designed to help you not avoid it and face your fear. So you could teach your brain. I don't have to be scared of this anymore. Uh What researchers found is that just created a competing neuropathway. It didn't erase or update the first one. So you had a 50-50 chance of which of those neuropathways was going to fire off every time you went to that intersection. Amazing. Wow. But they said, even though exposure therapy can help to inhibit the expression of that old memory, it doesn't really replace it. Well, Mm. they were like, there's got to be a way to do this. There's got to be a way you update a memory network. And then they finally discovered it in the year 2000. And and it's still, the research is still developing like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't, again, I don't want to oversimplify it, but basically what we've learned is your brain can update a memory and that the mechanism is you do have to recall the memory because you do have to bring up the original network, but then the key to updating is simultaneously bring up a corrective experience or a new experience it changes the meaning of the old memory. Uh-huh. Oh, so here's how it's different. Well, people will say, well, isn't that what exposure does? You're, you, you approach the intersection. So you're bringing up that fear memory and then you drive through it safely. Doesn't that update it and teach your brain? It's okay. No, because your brain says, okay, that was one time. Uh-huh. How do I know that's going to happen every time? There's still that 1% chance I could have that accident again. So uh-huh. what we so memory consolidation is more nuanced. So it, it wouldn't be what I would do first with somebody now in that situation is I would ask them, here's the questions I ask. And for those of you trained in EMDR, it'll sound similar to what you do to prepare somebody for EMDR. Uh-huh. And it's cognitive therapy based as well. But I just you got to figure out what is the meaning the brain attached to that. So uh-huh. I ask these three questions. And this is what y'all can do at home for anything update ask yourself what did it feel like this event meant about me and the next question is what did it feel like it meant about other people or the people Mm. involved and the third is what did it feel like it meant about the world or my future wow because those are the three domains where our beliefs get challenged and changed after a traumatic experience. And what, what you'll find is when you ask yourself those questions, for example, let's take the car accident. Um, uh-huh. What did it feel like? It, and I say, what, I don't say, what do you think it meant about you? That's not the question. You say, what did it feel like? Because with trauma, you have a felt belief. It doesn't feel like a cognitive thought. It feels like a feeling mm-hmm. and 
Mm-hmm. And it's accurate because it's coming from your emotional brain, not your rational brain. Mm-hmm. Your emotional brain encodes the implicit memories, which means the sounds, the smells, the, all the sensory elements of it, mm-hmm. as well as the felt belief that mm-hmm. in your emotional brain thinks like an animal. So it doesn't use words. It uses, it speaks to the body and the senses. Wow. So that's why you can't just tell yourself to calm down. Your emotional brain has no idea what that means. It's like, imagine if you have a dog scared of thunderstorms, does it work to go, Hey, calm down. <laughs> you have to think like an animal and you have to like pet it and talk in a soothing voice and do something to help it feel safe. So, so that's what I think about. You have to show it what you want, not just tell it. You have to approach it in sort of a sensory bodily way instead of an intellectual cognitive. That's right. That's right. Because the emotional brain is what gets triggering the anxiety feeling. So, so when you ask yourself, what did it feel like it meant about me? Let's again, let's take the car accident. Um, And I tell people, just tell me the first thing that comes to mind quick, because the emotional brain doesn't use a lot of words. It's Mm. just, I'm not safe. I can't protect myself. Um, this intersection's not safe. Um, I'm not a good driver. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, it could be a number of things, but I just say, just give me a couple of statements. First ones that come to mind. And then I say, and what did it mean about other people? Other people don't care. Other people are dangerous. You know, I, in fact, I'll use just a real life example of a client um he's giving me permission to share his story I won't share his name but uh-huh. he and his sister were hit by a drunk driver and it killed his sister oh and he had horrible road rage so when he came to me it's because his road rage was so bad like he was just following people and tracking them down and screaming at them and running uh-huh. people off the road and his wife was like you are going to get us killed you know if you don't get a handle on this so what I validated for him and this is the other thing I do with people when they come for any kind of therapy, but especially trauma therapy, as I say, so no wonder what your emotional brain encoded is those beliefs. Um, I wasn't paying enough attention because he said, I, I'd look down just for a second to turn the channel on the radio. And the next thing I looked up and there's this guy swerving into our lane. So on some mm. level, he felt like if I had just not looked away, could we have changed it? So uh-huh. I was driving the guilt. What did it feel like it meant about other people? Other people are dangerous. Uh-huh. And what did it feel like it meant about your future? Like, I'll never be happy again. How can I be happy when this happened? You know, and, uh-huh. and so then we put together. So when you're driving your emotional brain, if somebody starts to move, over into your lane immediately says, hurry, knock them off the road for something dangerous happens. And it hijacks your brain before you even have a chance to think about it. You're already doing that, aren't you? And he's like, Mm. reacting. I don't know how to turn that off. All the self-talk in the world. I mean, I can do some deep thing. I can do self-talk, but it's not, Courtney, it's not turning off. I can't, I just, it happens. I react. So what we've got to do, I said, well, we're going to call that memory. Here's the beliefs you're telling me you attached to it. Now we got to look at what do you want to believe instead? What do we want your brain to encode around it now that would be more useful for you in your life right now? Mm. Put it into context. And so what we came up with together, I don't tell him what to think. We decided what, what do you want to tell your emotional brain it's like you got to update the dog who keeps trying to protect you. It's your inner German shepherd. He keeps attacking <laughs> and you need it to go, look, boy, I don't, or girl, um, <laughs> I don't need you to attack everything. You know, let's get yeah, it. You're in overdrive right now. So he, he got that metaphor and he said, okay. Um, so what we agreed is he needed to believe that. Um, and it's not like we did this in one session. You know, it was a few sessions of figuring out what, how to update it. And I said, so you're, we want you to believe that even if you had not looked down at the radio, how many, how many seconds do you think it took you to look at the radio and look back up? And he, I said, do it right now. Like pretend like you're changing the radio right now. And like, and I'll time you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that was three seconds. Do you think three seconds would have stopped that dude 
are giving you and we realized no it would not so we want to tell you your brain like this was this was the result of someone who had been drinking and driving and I did the best I could I brought to his awareness what he did after the accident the car caught on fire he burned he had third degree burns all over his body trying to pull his sister out of the car Mm. so instead of keep rehearsing the radio image I said I want you to rehearse what you did to risk your life to save hers. Yeah. Give yourself credit for how hard you tried. Yeah. And that she's okay. I mean, he did believe in heaven. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I said, do you think she's up there in heaven going, yeah, you need your fault. Or do you think she'd be like, please, you did everything you could. And I love you so much. And I want you to be okay. I said, Uh that's what I think she would say. Don't you? And he was like, yeah, you know, you know, so we had to do some work around the guilt part first. Uh-huh. And then the second part was he believed everybody's dangerous. You can't trust anybody on the road. Everybody's. And I said, there are a lot of bad drivers. Uh-huh. <laughs> we can't deny that. Um, so what we want your mind to think, I said, how about this? We want you to say there are people who are not responsible drivers, but I'm a good driver. And I have some good skills and I'm good at anticipating what may happen and adjusting my vehicle accordingly mm-hmm. to the best of my ability. And that it's actually better for me to be cool and calm in order to mm-hmm. do that. And I said, I want you thinking like James Bond. Is James Bond going to be like flipping out? You know, I mean, I had to uh-huh. give him a metaphor. Again, your emotional brain thinks in metaphors better. It doesn't get uh-huh. words, it gets pictures. So I said, mm. think about James Bond. He's got to stay cool so he can stay in control. In control is what we want, right? He's like, yes, control. So Mike said, so let's get an image of you driving with control and not mm. wasting your time. It's a, it's a waste of your energy to go after these people and put yourself and your kids in danger, right? Like we had to uh-huh. kind of work through that. And then the last thing is he wanted to believe he could be happy again. And, and again, I had him imagine what would your sister tell you right now? Close your eyes and imagine she could talk to you from heaven. And what would she tell you? Would she tell you, 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 you don't need to be happy anymore. I mean, what would she want? She would say, no, she would want me to stop this so I can be there for my kids. So I can be a good dad to my kids and not be depressed all the time. Mm. And and I said, yeah. So then, you know, once we kind of had it figured out how he wanted his, his mind to think about this incident, and then we did the memory reconsolidation, which is I had him so recall that evening, and they don't have to they don't have to relive it. That's not what we want. Just bring up that uh-huh. moment for a minute, uh-huh. and then I want you to um, let's think of what can help your mind imagine what you want it and I said it might be your sister it might be you just fast forward through the incident to your sister you know being in heaven and reassuring you even though this is not what we wanted I want you to get one I want you to be a good father to your kids I want you to break some of the cycles in our family that we need to break because they had some dysfunctional family patterns and um Mm. you know And I want you to imagine um, that or something else that helps you feel like even though this happened, I'm going to live my life in a more like we mentioned earlier, a place of more depth, a place of more wisdom, a place of more power. And I said, it's not how you wanted to get that depth, wisdom and power, but you've got it. Uh And I said, you might imagine like future you like or someone who may have been like imagine if you talk to somebody who'd been through something similar, what would you want for them? How would you want them to live their life? And he, it was amazing, Beth. He got this image thinking about his future self. He said, I feel like I want to go talk to kids about the dangers of drinking and driving. Wow. And I was like, that would be cool. And he did. He ended up doing that. He would go to schools and do talks. And then he had these burns. So he would, you know, I mean, he was a, he ended up, he was like an incredible speaker. 
and funny. So the kids liked him. So you go to high schools and do a talk and say, this is what happened to me and my sister. And, and I'm here today because I don't want this to happen to you. And I want you to know the reality, you know, of what this can be. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. So he, he created new meaning from a horrible situation. Like I'm going to take this and turn the tables on it, so to speak. Yeah. He wanted to bring good out of a tragic situation and try to prevent that from happening to others. I don't want anyone to ever go through what I did and I'm going to use this for good. Yes. And that's one of the things we realized his emotional brain was just trying to prevent an accident. I said, I said, you are not an angry, bad person. Uh You're just anger is always about wanting something in the world to stop. Uh Anger is always about wanting something in the world to stop. And this is, you just want people to stop driving like this and be more conscientious and sober and safe, Uh but yelling at people and chasing them down the road, isn't accomplishing your goal. So let's think about what could accomplish that goal for you in a more now, not everybody is going to have the wherewithal to go do something like he did. He's mm-hmm. you know, one of those exceptional people who had the skills and the drive to do that. You don't have to yeah. do something amazing with your life. It, you know, you might just decide, you know what, because of what I've been through, I'm just going to be a kinder person. Yes. People. Yeah, or, just in small everyday ways. Yeah, or I'm just going to raise my kids differently. Mm-hmm. Or um, I'm going to use my life, you know, to do enjoyable, you know, I'm going to travel or whatever it is, it, you know, fulfills you. You say you, you don't have to do something like major like that, but you mm-hmm. want to use it and say, as a result of this happening, it's it sucked. It was wrong. It never should have mm-hmm. happened. It had an effect on me. And at the same time, I'm going to yeah. take my power back and I'm going to figure out how I can use this to live my life in a way that makes me feel proud. That makes me feel like, you know what? It happened, but I I survived it. And that's to my credit. And, you know, even people have been through sexual assault that have told me, well, I was you know, we were making out and I was kind of flirting with him. And, and then this happened Mm -hmm. and he assaulted me. I'll use a metaphor like chocolate cake. I'm like, okay, so let's say somebody invited you to their birthday party and they said, Hey, would you like some of my birthday cake? And you said, sure. And you, and you took a bite and then they shoved the whole cake down your throat. Just Mm. sampled a little. Doesn't mean yes. you wanted the cake shoved down your throat, you know, like. Exactly. You weren't asking for that. <laughs> yeah. Like, it wasn't your fault. Yeah. So if you use metaphors like that to help your emotional brain get, whoa, that, yeah, that's right. You know, so. Exactly. So uh, I think we want to focus on how to help people, um, you know, recognize we can't control every variable in the world that affects a, our lives or causes something to happen. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is we can get in touch with what, what is my emotional brain telling me about this event? What, what do I believe it means about me, others, or the world? And how can I update that now to Mm -hmm. be an empowering thing in my life, you know, or something that helps me move forward. And so like in my book, Rethinking Trauma Treatment, I have, and on my website, even I have these worksheets for you. You can download them for free where you can do this little activity for yourself. And then, I saw you had a mini course. What is your website while I, while you're on that? Oh, um, my website is, I've got two. One is realworldtherapy.com. Okay. That's the one I found. Okay. Realworldtherapy.com. Yeah. And we're working on one for trauma-informed hypnotherapy.com that just talks about our courses for people who want to get trained in, in that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the other key I'll just finish with on the reconsolidation is once you figured out your desired beliefs, mm-hmm. like I don't want my brain to organize around this and what I want it to believe instead, then you want to create some kind of experience that you that 
that evokes that feeling for you. And so sometimes, like we talked about, I'll say, can you imagine if it involves a death? I'll say, can you imagine that person speaking to you from a place of enlightened awareness? Mm. Do you believe in an afterlife or not? Let's just pretend if that person could speak to you from a place where they have more compassion, more insight now, what what do you think they would tell you? What would they want mm. for you? Or what would be in your best interest? Love it. Um, so that can help, like just imagining what that person might say to you. If it's um, you want to feel more empowered or strong or confident, you know, then I might say, you know, to realize, okay, I was assaulted, but I've, I've learned a lot and I've strengthened myself since then. And I want to remember that now I have more awareness about little red flags about people and how to keep myself safe. And, um, mm. you know, then I would say, well, let's get a symbol that represents that strong, insightful, you know, street smart, whatever it is, like something that helps you can call up that feeling for yourself. Mm-hmm. You might get in it, you know, an eagle or a lion or a mountain, you know, it just, it's, it's whatever works for them. I and love they, that. And they amaze me, Beth, where they'll tell me, oh my gosh, that symbol thing was so powerful. Like I, at the time, it didn't seem like a big deal, but I keep thinking about my symbol and people will get tattoos of their symbol or it, screensavers on their phone or necklaces. Like people have come in, I've, I've got a necklace made of my elephant, you know, it, it's just wow. it's amazing. The other one that's my go-to is future self. So, so I'll give you all those three will work Mm -hmm. for a lot of things. Like get, see future you, how you want yourself to be and how you want yourself to be living in spite of this experience. And if you Mm. can't imagine future you, think about what you would want for someone else. Like imagine Mm -hmm. if this happened to somebody else, how would I want them to feel about themselves and living that can help you get in touch with what yes for you. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you let yourself or get a playlist is another one I use, like create mm-hmm. a playlist of the songs that you want. One song that validates the horror, the the sad feelings, because you got to for memory reconsolidation, you have to juxtapose the feelings um. of the event against the new feeling you want. And, and like a triumphant yeah. song but then a recognizing the trauma song yeah. yeah that's great yeah so you would want something like you know one of my clients who had been through a gang rape um she had a um her playlist started with just like uh I won't go too deep you only need like a few songs or you know I usually tell people five or six songs but mm-hmm. one of the songs on it was I'm not crazy I'm just a little unwell by Matchbox 20, like that's how she felt. Mm-hmm. Like she felt like people thought she was crazy because she had so much anxiety after this event. Mm-hmm. That was one of her songs that kind of articulated that she had a song on there about the anger and rage she felt towards these people called like Black River or something that was real hard, like, <sighs> like what she yeah. could do to them. Uh-huh. And then, then she it took her a while to put it together, but then she found a song that are fit for her from Mary J. Blige. Can't keep a good woman down. Mm. Her triumphant song. Like, and wow. Songs about, even though this, I've been through abuse, you can't keep a good woman down. And I'm got my power back and y'all didn't stop my life. You know, mm. once she put that playlist together, Beth, I mean, we had talked about this trauma with, you know, we had done a lot of different techniques, but when we did the playlist, she came back to me after she put it together. We played it together in the session and listened to it together and we're just sharing the experience of it. And it was really powerful for me too to be with her and listen to those songs and her interpretations of them. And then she came back after that session. She goes, Courtney, I'm it's done. Like, mm. I don't. I can think about the event and I don't even, it's like, you know what? It happened, but I'm Mary J. Blige. (laughs) It's miraculous. She said those other two songs don't even resonate with me anymore. Like it doesn't, 
the meaning changed for her. Yeah. And that's when, you know, memory reconsolidation has occurred. Uh-huh. It's, it's will feel for you. It will feel like I, I remember how I felt when it happened. I remember the bad feeling. I can remember feeling like that, but I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like mm. it happened. It sucked. And now I'm living my life this way. And that's to my credit. That's so powerful. It's like, I didn't stay down. Like yeah. I've been knocked down by trauma, but it didn't keep me down and I'm stronger than I've ever been. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. I want people to know it takes a while to get there. Like you don't have to be there overnight. You know, for some people you need a longer period of time to kind of wrap your head around what's happened. So please know I'm, um, even though we want to help people, I, I also am very respectful of your pace, your way, uh-huh. your path, and what what feels right for you. I just love the balance between both are so important. You have to focus on the hardships and the trauma and really tell that story and, and feel some of that and work through it. But then you have to move in a positive direction and see you're so strong, you survived, you can use this for good, you can thrive. And some people want to just kind of stay on the negative and just kind of keep reliving the negative and dwelling on it. And others want to just gloss over that. Don't, I don't want to revisit any of that. I just want to look at the bright side. I think you mentioned Pollyanna earlier, but both are just so key. And I just love the way your approach really values and emphasizes the priority of both right right that that is the key it's like how you blend both of those things together and and figuring out what resilience would look like for you like it doesn't again it doesn't mean you have to be some major world hero you know Mm -hmm. resilience can you know the best revenge is success whatever Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) whatever you know, whatever that would be for you. And I, I, I am mindful that some people, because of the trauma they've been through they're they still may have like dysfunctional people in their lives or poverty or things that make them feel like I can't have the life I want, you know, but so it's, you do have to think about with what I've got to work with right now, how can I make the best of, of this so that it's more about you taking your power back. That's what it keeps Mm. going back to. How can I not let this define all of me? Mm. That's absolutely amazing. And one thing I'll, you'll be the first to know, I have always been kind of obsessed with mantras, but I'm now going to switch to the metaphor image. Now that you've explained that emotional connection, I love that, you know, just thinking of a tree or a lion or an elephant or anything that just really they can picture yes. um, when they need to feel empowered. Yes. It is really cool how that works. It, you know, I mean, words or mantras are great too, but if you, if that's not getting you there, switch to a picture or a song yeah. or a, a physical posture because your yeah. emotional brain understands nonverbal things better. Wow. That's amazing. I can't believe how much you crammed into an hour or however long this has been. That was just amazing. And I am so inspired by what you're doing. And I loved hearing how you got where you are because it's crazy how things like that seem like chance. Like, oh, I just took this job in New Orleans and I just took this job at a mental health inpatient unit or with Dr. Jump. But how your purpose was unfolding behind you you know right in front of you I know and and it brought you to where just this perfect place of that just you know everything there's an intersection of your passion and your personality and your heart and probably your Enneagram type (laughs) and your experiences that brought you where you are and to help people and I love seeing the passion and the mission that you have for trying to help people with their trauma because that's not an easy type of work to do yeah, I, I know it, it can be intense. You know, you hear a lot of things and that you hear a lot of the ugly in the world, you know, and you uh-huh. think, oh, gosh, but then, like you said earlier, uh, there is a lot of darkness, but there's a lot of light too. And the light always wins. 
Even the tiniest pinpoint of light can penetrate the darkness. So I remember, I think Uh, that when I'm getting depressed of hearing all these horrible things people have gone through, I'll be like, but you know what? The fact they're sitting here in my office is a testimony to the light, but the light. And when you see them emerging triumphant from their story, it it takes the darkness away, probably even for you and for me. I mean, some of the most inspiring things I've ever seen is watching these people in my office that feel like they're a wilted plant that's blooming right in front of my eyes. Yeah, that's a wonderful metaphor too, Beth. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. This is amazing. And it's so good to see your face and just hear, hear so much of what you're doing. I can't wait to to get your books and watch more of your podcasts and maybe attend one of your trainings. Sure. We would love to have you. <laughs> It'd be so much fun. Well, thanks a million. Thanks, Beth. I'll talk to you soon.